And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everybody. Welcome. We are live from the bunker, and we're just jumping right in here because things are about to get uh, a little squirrely, I think. Let me adjust because I don't want to cut half of Paul's face off. There we go. All right. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the <laughs> editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. Joining me for this analysis discussion pre preview of the Walt Disney Company's earnings call, which is about to happen in about 20 minutes, uh, I've got uh, from our uh, u- uh, round up the usual suspects here, uh, Cameron Pasha, who has been on top of a lot of different things here inside of Disney. He's also got some insiders we'll talk about a little bit here. Paul DeGarabedian, who is a senior media analyst at Comscore. And Dan Danford, who's the president and CEO of uh, Family, Investment, <laughs> Family yeah. Investment Center here in Kansas City. Welcome, gentlemen. Great to be here. The, Dis- the Disney Company's D-Day is what I'm calling it because we had... I, I I haven't seen the news. Do we know anything about what happened in Florida this morning? Because we know we had some committees. The, there was a special session this morning concerning the Reedy Creek Improvement District. So we're waiting for news on that. We've got the earnings call starting here at about uh, 20 minutes. And that's going to be rather interesting, especially when we get to the shareholder Q&A. Because you have the proxy war setting up with mm-hmm. the whole Nelson Peltz thing. And everything's just kind of coming to a head here. Uh, Cameron, you're probably more familiar with the ins and outs on the backside of this in, in as, as background detail. Why don't you share with us where where are we in terms of what we can expect this call to be? How How is it going to go, do you think? Well, it's going to be Bob Iger taking credit for Bob Chapek's work, right? I mean, he's already doing it, right? I mean, he's already doing it in the press release that he put out there. You know, he's, he's saying he's saying that you know, look, we're back on track. We're embarking this journey. I'm like, what new journey? Yeah. As far as I can tell, you just implemented everything Bob Chapek said he was going to do that you all got him fired over. I don't see any <laughs> change in plan except what Chapek said. Let's do some layoffs. Let's just trim down this company. Let's get back to basics. Let's focus. It, you know, so uh, that remains of my opinion that Mr. Chapek was let go for some other reason. I've stated my opinions that have nothing to do with the things, and we can get into them if, if we like. But let's focus on this here. So, you know, this is, I think, more of the earnings call is just going to be this continual standard Hollywood fluff thing where it's just like, look, at I came back in three months. I turned this entire ship around. Right. Right? <laughs> Anyone knows that's not how a company works. Yeah. These are cycles. These are cycles that are long in play and they take a while to manifest. And so that's why Bob Chapek was so relaxed on his previous call, which is one of the excuses Miss Christine McCarthy gave to the Wall Street Journal, the CFO, of why he was allegedly released. He was so calm on that call when these numbers were disastrous. You know why he was calm? Because he knew they'd be better the next quarter because he knew what was coming. <laughs> because he had set things in motion that were accelerating now because that's the up and down of stock prices. Yeah. You know, you know it, that's what happens. And out of company implementation plans. And so that's why he was so relaxed because he knew this quarter was going to be better. So that was the excuse that's been given to the Wall Street Journal, which has gone with it. Not doing its journalistic job asking if that excuse makes any sense. But Mr. the call is going to be more of Mr. Iger 
essentially portraying this as how he brilliantly turned the company around in three in three months or two and a half months, realistic, right? Uh, and I think that's not going to fly that well with the, where the shareholders are because we've now gotten to the place where the shareholders are asking aggressive questions uh, that I don't think he can ignore any further. Uh, I think Mr. Nelson Peltz has, has opened up literally the genie's bottle and uh, other investors, uh, Mr. Loeb and others, are going to be quite aggressive moving forward. I do not think Mr. Uh, Iger will be able to rest on his laurels in this call. I think there's going to be people saying, great, I'm glad I'm glad you said that about this quarter. What's the long-term plan here, right? And isn't the long-term plan exactly what the previous guy said, right? And you got him out, which caused some instability here? I think some people are going to be asking those questions. Do you think that we're going to get a lot of discussion in the Q&A with regard to Nelson Peltz and Tryan Group as as far as you know the proxy war and, and the board stuff? Or is that probably going to get pushed off to the April shareholders meeting? Well, and please, anyone else in the panel, correct me. My understanding is that these... Uh, that this Q&A is going to be regulated. I think people are submitting yeah. questions. Is that correct? Okay. So I think they're definitely going to make their best effort to minimize accepting <laughs> questions from critics, right? <laughs> but that's only going to enrage the situation further. Right. And I promise you, Mr. Mr. Iger is going to do exactly the wrong thing here, which is enrage the, the investors further because they've been doing it. I mean, as Disney employees have who are on my Patreon have emailed me, uh, one actually just, I put a poster on my Patreon just before I came on this video saying that this is Mr. Iger taking credit for JPEG's work and it's not going to work. And a Disney employee who is who is who's a Patreon member emailed me, DM me directly and said, "Yep, you're on point. He's lost it." And what he means by that is that he's he's lost control of the narrative, uh -huh. and this is going to accelerate. And unfortunately, they have been very foolishly publicly aggressive against these investors calling for a board seat. Uh, and the Disney employee had said, I've never seen, and maybe others know on this panel, moments where that had happened, where, they, where they've been putting out press releases, aggressively attacking an investor who has a fair, a fair comment for wanting to be on the board because it's just a bunch of insiders that Mr. Iger put into place. Even Susan Arnold, who was the only person he didn't put in place, is gone now, right? Yeah. So it sounds like in a situation where you need somebody who is independent of this CEO who has no obligation to the CEO to protect the other investors. That doesn't sound like an unfair thing, but the fact that they've aggressively, and to this, I understand just a couple of days ago, they're putting out more press releases. These investors are going to derail the company. This is the wrong move. And it's going to get worse because they are obviously scared of anyone else coming inside who is not a friend of Iger's to look at those books for yeah. some reason. Dan, let me ask you about that because you're, that's, that's your, that's your headspace. Is is this normal when you get yeah. into a proxy war like this? Is this yeah, normal for the board to sit there and go, no, 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 everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine? No, it's very normal. Um, nobody, no management wants to have a proxy war with disgruntled shareholders. Um, and, and partly they don't want to do it because they don't want to cede control or eat even give somebody a seat at the table who's going to try to make them accountable. Uh, it's it just, it is always uh, tough. Mm -hmm. uh, this is more public than a lot. You know, Disney uh, has, it, it's really interesting, but you know, Disney has a hundred years of uh, kind of lore and uh, people just love the brand. And a lot of the shareholders just love the brand, uh, which makes, you know, this kind of disarray even more intriguing. And I think that's part of the issue. Um, but, you know, 
Peltz knows that, <laughs> and he's using it to advantage, and uh, he's going to have an audience, uh, whether whether they want him to or not, yeah. he's going to have an audience, and, you know, we saw the slide pack from when he met with the board, and, uh, you know, it's it's daunting, I mean, you, you look at that, and you say, you know, somebody needs to um, light a fire under these guys. Well, it's the it, best argument I've seen so far, it's professionally done, right. by someone who's a very successful investor, and it's really hard to argue with the the points it's making. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, well, absolutely. But now, that doesn't mean that that they're going to welcome it with open arms. I mean, they aren't. They're they're going they're going to fight tooth and nail because yeah. that's what managements do. How much uh, how much of a difference uh, is there between the 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 slideshow that they had earlier this this month? And what's out on this RestoreTheMagic.com? Is there is there a a significant difference, or is this just this is just their PowerPoint presentation now put online for everybody to see? Well, I, I you know I I think like everything else in the world today, there are different perspectives on the same numbers. I mean, I would say, you know, what we're going to see here today. I mean, what Cameron said was exactly right. Iger's going to try to paint it as I'm saving the company, et cetera, et cetera. On the other hand, the numbers don't lie. I mean, they can fudge the numbers a little bit, but the numbers are the numbers. And uh, shareholders in general respond to the numbers, not to the language. And so uh, it, that's why this call is so important. So, Paul, let me let me bring you in here for a little box office perspective here, because yeah. we've got Avatar climbing to two point two billion worldwide right now. Is is that how much how much can they lean on that and say, look at how great we are, look at how wonderful we are, look this this thing. I mean, yeah. it's not really a Disney pro- property though. Well, I mean, well, it's twentieth century, yeah. but of course, it's it's being distributed by Disney. But they'd be very, very happy about Avatar: The Way of Water because if that movie wasn't in the mix, given the, uh, you know, the box office uh, performance of Phase Four on the Marvel side, and of course the Star Wars films, and and how the fans have reacted to to Phase Four and also to the Star Wars films, has put them in a position where they really need these 2023 That's titles, right. mm-hmm. the Marvel titles, to really perform. Because as high profile as every other part of the company is, it's that movie thing that tends to get everyone. If you see an opening weekend on Avatar The Way of Water of $134 million domestically, I'm sure at Disney, they were like, that's probably what it should have done. But to everyone else in the world, that looked like a big underperformance for the opening weekend. Yeah. So everything's about perception. And the, on the movie side, they really need to hope that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which opens on the 17th, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 on May 5, uh, The Little Mermaid, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Elemental, all these, the Marvels, Haunted Mansion, Wish. They have a bunch of movies in the pipeline, but they need those movies to really perform not only on a box office level, but perception. Mm -hmm, There's been a real hit to the, uh, I think, the IP in a way. And if you look at the streaming component and how with many of the animated films, they were either on streaming first and then theatrical or simultaneous. And then did you have to pay a premium to get the at-home version if you wanted to watch it the first week? It, it all got very confusing. And then films like Lightyear and others didn't perform as well as many had expected theatrically. But then again, there may have been consumer confusion. Are these now just going to be 
streaming titles? Are they going to be theatrical? They can get that back, but it takes really years to build back that kind of confidence. But, you know, a couple of good movie performances and good reviews and fan response is what's needed and, and really needed in a hurry, I think. But it'll take time for that to happen. Well, and the other the other thing, too, you get something like uh, the online, the backlash and the pushback against this latest episode of The Proud Family, yeah. for example, well, because that's, you know, that whole 1619 slavery built the, the country type of thing. You know, that's right there in everybody's face, you know, from a standpoint of this is the family programming stuff. Right. Now we're going to get your kids indoctrinated into into this 1619 Project stuff, which has been debunked by historians. So... Debunked yeah. to the point that even the Hollywood trades are acknowledging that. Yeah. And we know the Hollywood trades tend to take a more progressive view on things. And the very fact, if you read a Deadline article talking about the 1619 Project, even they sort of sullenly, resentfully admit that this is a matter of historical controversy, that there are many people suggesting this is not a correct understanding uh, and that the person who promoted it turns out to be more of a journalist promoting a thing rather than a historian with the actual facts. The very fact that Hollywood has had to acknowledge something against their will, you know, means this is really out of alignment. Well, Cameron, you bring up a great point because I think a lot of it, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you have to look at the content and how it resonates with people and is it working? I mean, if you're coming from an organically created piece of content that really has passion behind it and is authentic, People can feel that. But if it's just something kind of contrived, that doesn't always work. And I don't know if it's about checking certain boxes that's the way to go. Just make great movies, great TV shows. And by great, I mean, obviously, that's a very subjective uh, way to look at things. But all content is looked at subjectively. But I think it really is. I mean, on the streaming side, I mean, look, in November of 2019, when Disney Plus hit, they were, you know, unfortunately, because it was the pandemic, obviously, but they were positioned a few months later to be the only game in town. And of course, if you have kids or you just want to watch a lot of content, you're stuck at home. That was a great opportunity for Disney Plus. But that's a different we're in a different era right now. No question about it. A lot of competition out there. A lot of big movies on the way. And the superhero movies, while often some of the can provide great experiences in the theater, the excitement that it was felt over Marvel a few years ago, you got to build that back up again. And also for the, you know, the Disney uh, animated IP, especially Pixar and of course, Star Wars as well. There's a lot there, yep. certainly. All right. Well, it but sounds I'm, like they're starting. Go ahead, Cameron. I just want to add a point going back to the initial point that you made, Paul, at the beginning is that people can sense when something is authentic and when something is not. That's and, true. And, yeah. and yeah. I'm going to give Absolutely. you an example that we forget. Roots, 1977, 140 million Americans watch Roots, which is one of the most painful miniseries looking at the experience of what slavery was like, being taken from West Africa and enduring this. And this is at a time that we would suggest perhaps is not as open to many of these social conversations that we are having today. And 140 million people watched that, and it got something like 39 Emmy nominations, and it impacted America and the world's conversation at a pivotal time in history. Great People point. felt that this was an authentic story. That's right. It was authentic. That's right. Absolutely. And it resonated. Yep. Yep. It did. Yep. Hugely, well, as you pointed out so astutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So let's uh, let's do this. Let's see where they're at here. Creativity to the center of the company 
increase accountability, improve results, and ensure the quality of our content. Can you all hear that okay? Yes. Okay. Now the details. <laughs> our company is fueled by storytelling and creativity. And virtually every dollar we earn, every transaction, every interaction with our consumers emanates from something creative. Uh -huh. I've always believed that the best way to spur great creativity is to make sure the people who are managing the creative processes feel empowered. Therefore, our new structure is aimed at returning greater authority to our creative leaders and making them accountable for how their content performs financially. Our former structure yep. severed that link and it must be restored. Moving That's forward, our creative teams yep. will determine what content we're making, <laughs> how it is distributed and monetized, and how it gets marketed. Managing costs, maximizing revenue, and driving growth from the content being produced will be their responsibility. Under our strategic reorganization, there will be three core business segments. Disney Entertainment, ESPN, and Disney Parks experiences and products. Alan Bergman and Dana Walden will be co-chairmen of Disney Entertainment, which will include the company's full portfolio of entertainment media and content businesses globally, including streaming. Jimmy Vitaro will continue to serve as chairman of ESPN, which will include ESPN Networks, ESPN Plus, and our international sports channels. And there are some people saying that and we're going to get Tomorrow some questions about ESPN to today Park, because there's some, there's some chatter about that, too. Theme so. parks, resort destinations, and cruise line, as well as Disney's consumer products, games, and publishing businesses. These organizational changes will be implemented immediately, and we will begin reporting under the new business structure by the end of the fiscal year. Uh, Cameron, is that this the same structure that JPEG had planned, or is it a modification? I mean, I'm sure there are modifications as to who. I'm, I'm not sure the Bergman and Waldman were working together before. But what what it is is philosophically what he said. The pivotal line that he said, it's amazing because he's the one responsible for it. The original version of events was creators were being creators, were being given authority without accountability, Yeah. right? That's what the last 10 years was. That's why you could have Kathleen Kennedy saying, Last Jedi script, first draft, looks good to me, let's go, right? And it doesn't, they projected Last Jedi was going to make $2.5 It did not. It made $1.3 right? So you, despite all their talking, it made over a billion dollars. It made $1.2 less than their internal projections. So that wasn't a success, and it caused this chaos in the fandom that we're feeling today. So this gentleman, Mr. Iger, established a decade of hanging out with famous people at the Golden Globes parties and letting them do whatever they wanted. Now he's just said the line, and we're going to make them accountable to the financial return? Who was saying that for the last two years? It was Bob Chapek, and Hollywood attacked him. Attacked him as, you are taking power away from the creators because it's these Hollywood guys who don't want to be accountable that didn't like this, yeah. right? They want to do whatever the, the hell they wanted to give money to their friends. Right? And the, the and cynic in me... The cynic in me says that's a way of washing your hands of your own accountability, too. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's I a way of saying that's his fault. I put him in charge and he created that and it didn't make money. That's not on me. That's on him. Right? Well, and I saw I saw a report. Ten years. Yeah. And I saw a report as early as early as this week. Uh, I think it was Fox. They were talking about over on Fox Business how they were blaming the woke stuff with regard to like Proud Family 
blaming it on JPEG. And that's the narrative that they've been trying to do here for a while now, that all of this, Instead, all of this trouble was, was JPEG's fault. He was trying to pull that away. The moment he tries to pull it away, guess what? They yeah, rebel. The, the loudmouths inside the company rebel. Go to the trades. Fire this guy. I mean, and now it's his fault that he couldn't get this stuff out in the 18 months he had some kind of authority? Come on. Since my return, I have drilled down into every facet of the streaming business to determine how to achieve both profitability and growth. And so with that goal in mind, we will focus even more on our core brands and franchises which have consistently delivered higher returns. We will aggressively curate our general entertainment content. We will reassess all markets we have launched in and also determine the right balance between global and local content. Mm. We'll adjust our pricing strategy, including a full examination of our promotional strategies. We will fine tune our advertising initiatives on all streaming platforms. We will improve our marketing better balancing platform and program marketing, while also leveraging our legacy distribution platforms for marketing and programming. This may include greater use of legacy distribution opportunities to increase revenue and more effectively amortize content investment. That's that's what and 20th Century Fox, or well, what uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is going to do. We'll reestablish the direct link between content decisions and financial performance. This Contact decisions, financial reestablish the direct link that he severed. Yeah. Our streaming business. <laughs> For a decade. There's a lot to accomplish, but let me be clear. This is my number one priority. We are focused on the success. It of has to be to save the company and save his legacy. For our shareholders. By the way, I like watching Cameron more than listening to the call. Before I turn this over to Christine. <laughs> it's my face of dealing with these people for 20 years in Hollywood. I know. You're sitting there against an executive who's lying to your face, and everyone in the room knows they're lying, and I don't have a poker face. I'm the guy going in the room going like this. That's why I get fired. It's classic, though. Uh, you know, in, in business school, they teach a class called organizational behavior, and everybody should have to take it. I'm just telling you. My wife was on the school board for years years and they were just you know always so puzzled when obvious things happen that, that this is classic organizational behavior i'm not kidding you of course he's going to blame the guy in front of him of course they had to of course somebody had to be fired of course you know this happens all the time yeah. wrong people get fired uh people who don't deserve it get promoted it's over and over and over again none of this is very surprising for a hundred year old company with the kind of revenues that disney has and over long periods of time. All right. Speaking of our parks, we had an outstanding quarter in Q1 while we continued our purposeful efforts to control capacity to preserve guest experience. I want to circle back you to parks. Came from the park? Bob Chapek came from the parks. Adjustments at our parks. I want to also, because Universal is making some moves, too, I want to talk about it at some point here. Quality and value of their experience. We're also proud of our creative success as we led all studios with the most Academy Award nominations, including two Best Picture nominations, 20th Century Studios' Avatar, The Way of Water, and Searchlight Pictures' The Banshees of Inisherin. Marvel's Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, received five Oscar nominations, and in addition to an $840 million run at the box office, it launched on Disney Plus last week. Which was below expectations. It become one of the most successful Marvel films on the platform. That doesn't say Looking much. Ahead, yeah, we're right. excited about our fantastic lineup Standard. of new films coming to theaters this year, 
starting with next week's release of Marvel's Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, followed by other highly anticipated theatrical titles, including The Little Mermaid, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Pixar's Elemental, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and Disney's Haunted Mansion. Lucasfilm's The Mandalorian, the series that started it all for Disney+, Plus, will be back at the beginning of March for its highly anticipated third season. That's and a March. Kathleen so pleased to hear that. Yeah, that's that a March 1st day, by the way, for our animation studios to some of our most popular franchises, Toy Story, Frozen, and Zootopia. We'll have more to share about these productions soon, but this is a great example of how we're leaning into our unrivaled brands and franchises. They're not, as, they're not as unrivaled as they used to be, though. Any other entertainment company this year, a total of nine, including for Abbott Bagdad Elementary, Bob stuff. the first no. broadcast show to win a Golden Globe for Best Series in nearly a decade. Without question, we have a world-class television business that fuels both our linear channels and direct-to-consumer services, especially with the assets acquired through the Fox transaction goes without saying that the best shows lead to the most lucrative library and have the power to endure because of their quality. Now, Simpsons illustrates this perfectly. Let me ask. Disney Plus launched I know he's reading a script and this is a this is a fully vetted prepared script. But does he sound tired? Today. He's just got no energy at Plus all. He doesn't sound excited about any of this. Second to none. And that includes Because he knows he's the, he, he knows he's responsible for all this. He knows. No. This is the guy having to uh, to come up with a new st- basically follow the guy's fired strategy to fix everything he did and now have to publicly say we're going to do these new things when he knows he's the one who did the other thing across our digital platforms we're being selective in our rights renewals and continue to approach rights acquisition with discipline and a focus on supporting both sides of ESPN's business traditional linear and digital that was a JPEG decision. ESPN is more than just a network, and today well, the team is harnessing all the cable businesses is uh, suffering, and, and ESPN and has probably suffered more because they're the biggest cable player. Yeah. I mean, most cable, um, you know, organizations pay more to ESPN than any other provider on their cable, I and mean, it's huge money. Yeah. When we invested in our core businesses and acquired new ones bought back stock, and paid a dividend to our shareholders. As a result of the impact of the COVID pandemic, we made the decision to suspend the dividend in the spring of 2020. And can now I comment on the dividend thing? Yeah. This dividend thing is all about, okay, it's exactly what the new emperor does when he takes over the throne from the previous emperor. Spreads gifts to the people to prevent them from rioting. Initially, it will be a modest dividend, we hope to build upon it over time. Christine will provide more information on that. Great, Christine. McCarthy, and finally, yes. on the topic of succession, the board recently established a dedicated succession planning committee. The committee is chaired by Mark Parker, who will become chairman of the Walt Disney Company's board following our annual meeting. I'm excited to work with him in his new capacity, and I'm grateful to our outgoing board chairman, Susan Arnold, for her 15 years of tremendous service. Obviously, there's a lot going on, but as I mm-hmm. said before, I'm truly excited to be back and to lead this great company through this necessary transformation. I'm grateful for our incredible talent and my exceptional leadership team, 
And with that, I will turn things over to Christine. You know, I would love to have Thank video you, on this because I'd love to see the body language on these people. Excluding certain items, our companies and and there's a there's an analyst. Uh, her channel is called Body Language Ghost. She's very good at this, at looking at at the little physical ticks and the and the and the looks and the and the moves and everything. And I would love to see the video of this call. You heard earlier that we are embarking on a significant company-wide cost reduction plan that we expect will reduce annualized non-content related expenses by roughly $2.5 billion, not including inflation. In general, we anticipate these reductions will be comprised of approximately 50% marketing, 30% labor, and 20% technology, procurement, and other expenses. Around $1 billion of this target was included in the guidance we gave last quarter, that fiscal 2023 segment operating income should grow in the high single-digit percentage range, which is still our current expectation. The bulk of the efficiencies we are realizing this year are related to reductions in marketing and headcount at DMED. The remaining portion of the target represents incremental SG&A and other operating expense savings, which will fully materialize by the end of fiscal 2024. My friends, I, I need Longer to regrettably term, we also expect so to we'll let okay. McCarthy the Kingslayer, the future CEO <laughs> of the has no friends in Hollywood. How you much, know, we'll friend, I just love watching you, man, and, and I learned so much. <laughs> I, I'm just here to listen, and and Dan, you're amazing. So great oh, to meet you. Thank you. Good. And, Good, good, enjoying both fun. you guys. Yep. Yeah, thanks for thanks. thanks for being here, and and we will definitely we will definitely circle back and have have more discussions on some stuff because I want to talk Ant about Man Amazon. better open. <laughs> yeah, right. I, uh, I mean, I actually like the first Ant Man. Uh, I did too. I don't. I don't think this is gonna work. Uh, I think they've all. I think they're all out of steam. I think Mr. Feige's out of steam. Yeah. I think. I mean, well, I don't Guardians think... will be the film to kick off the summer movie season, so that's going to be a really important tone setter for the summer yeah. so we'll how, see. how much do you think christine mccarthy is sitting there in all of this call worried about her job because there's been word that she's kind of on the chopping block as well at some point or she was going to be because she was stupid enough to to uh be the kingslayer <laughs> then, then you always get rid of the kingslayer that's bait go back to roman emperor yeah, the guy who assassinates the the the, the emperor on your behalf is the next in line yeah you, what happened to lee harvey sure, oswald right make like, sure you, the king you, is you dead right shut him up yeah yeah yep. <laughs> you don't want him talking you don't want her talking she was told to do that by Mr. Iger, for reasons we still do not know that don't make any sense, which I have my own opinions that somehow some shady FTX right. stuff is involved. That's I still think your theory is valid. It's never I been disproven right. in acting ways. So regardless, <laughs> saying that aside, of course, because she was deluded, they did. Uh, we'll let her talk. They would. She delude. They. It's perfect Hollywood, you know, setup and payoff, right? Mm -hmm. well, you know, which is they told her, "Baby, do this for me." It's Hollywood. It's Hollywood. Hey, baby, do this for me, right? Oh, get rid of this guy. Okay, and we're going to make you the next CEO. And then they let her believe that for about one month, where they give her all just like Vanity Fair is writing a piece on her. And, you know, they're all like, oh, look at all these long articles about Christine McCarthy, the future CEO of Disney. And then they're like, all right, we, we gave you your ego boost. We get rid of her. Yep. <laughs> oh, we lost Dan. Hold on just a second. We lost Dan. But, 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 that, but, that's, but that's, that's what it is. This is Hollywood set up and payoff. This is yep. how you handle it. You let, you make them feel secure that 
the Kingslayer is in the next in line for position. And when they're secure, they put their guard down, they put their sword down, they put their shield down, and then you get rid of them. Yeah, yep. that's when you cut off the head. That's how this works. <laughs> Machiavelli is like watching this, like, why can't you people see this? I wrote a yeah. book about this 400 years ago. <laughs> why can't you see this? Well, so, Cameron, right, you're the I best. have to go. Let, let Ms. McCarthy enjoy her right. soon to come unemployment and NDA. Cameron, <laughs> let us let us uh, plan for a time where we can spend the entire hour and and talk around sparrow without revealing sparrow because i i'm here i'm reading some of the stuff you got and you've got some you've got some amazing stuff coming out from from the inside so let let me just say that as i'm going i I, on my patreon i've had the blessing over the last several months of having a lot of disney employees on my patreon as members uh and sharing information and often giving me stuff well i mean i knew i knew about the bob chapex layoff plan 48 hours before the trades had it right because someone got me the memo, the private memo inside of Disney, right? One of these are, and so those were the sources I had. Then in the last couple of months, I've cultivated a source that's a whole other level. I won't reveal their name. We're giving them the code name, like spy code name Sparrow, who all I will say is very, very powerful person inside of Disney who has decided to come out against Ms. Kathleen Kennedy. And I've identified who they are and I've confirmed who they are. And they've been revealing remarkable information as to the internal politics of it beyond anything I could have expected. Mm. Uh, so, you know, if anyone wants to join me on my Patreon, uh, I'm posting their things. It, it's stuff that I had, I mean, they're giving me HR information that nobody else has and, and direct things that's happening between the principals to the point that I know I've confirmed there's actually an investigation to try to find who this person is because, you know, they're getting people inside Lucas from like, who the hell is this person? This is actually the level of stuff that no one should know. And I know why they know it. And so far, they seem to be safe. Let's yeah. hope we can keep them that way. But well, come join my Patreon to find out this stuff. All right, and because we will. All that is people getting revenge. That's all it is. People inside of Disney getting revenge yeah. and coming to me to let it out there. So let's <laughs> let's have some fun. Well, and we will put a link to Cameron's Patreon. And uh, Paul, you've got a podcast that you host, and and you're yeah, part I've of Comstock Store. I've got Store. Ticket to Ride with Mike Polidorus. We do a box office podcast every week, and then I have Mini Screens, Big Picture. And I actually had a chance to interview Gary Rydstrom, the oh, incredible yeah. sound sound designer, sound engineer. Uh, he's a legend. And uh, Gianluca Sergi, he they both wrote a book together called "The Endless End of Cinema," and uh, it's really pretty interesting. So that the full episode will be out next week. But thank you for having me on your show, Jason. Yeah. Absolutely. What happened to Dan? I, I miss Dan. I think, I think his I think his internet because he was starting to get a little fuzzy. I think his internet may have crapped out a little bit. So hopefully we'll get him back in here. And in the meantime, we'll keep listening to the call. And I know Valiant Renegade and those guys are over there talking about it as well. And and we'll put links to all of your stuff in in our notes once uh once I get a chance to do that. And uh we will And you're gonna stick def- around here, you're gonna keep analyzing. I am gonna call. I'm gonna stick around and, and just kind of monitor because I'm out of my depth here. I'm I'm the first to admit it. But you will I can at least I can at least run some comments and well, people subscribe to watch this. Channel's always great. Yeah. And, when it uh, comes to all this financials, you know, the stocks and all that, I just I stick with the box office. That's that's the thing I know mostly. So, <laughs> all right. and, and well, I, good, I stick uh, with corporate yeah. machination because that's what I know as a screenwriter. Absolutely, yeah, that's absolutely. why it's great to have all these different guests on here. I hate to leave you alone, Jason. No, but... I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I got I got Mrs. <laughs> I got Mrs. Boss over here. If anything, I can. Um, I can and I've, I've I met Mrs. Boss, and I've had lovely tea at, at their home, so it's really a delight. Yeah. All awesome. right, gentlemen. Thanks very Thank much for you. being here. We'll do Everyone it again. Here, All right. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. All right. Paul DeGarabedian from Comscore, Cameron Pasha, writer and producer, and uh, they they are. Oh, well, you you got uh, you got your thing over there. You ready to go? Yes. Oh, you don't need to have me on camera. <laughs>
Well, uh, I've got a. They can look at your lovely face. I don't have a lovely face. You've got a face for radio. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Uh-huh. What's your comment? What's your? Are we just? Oh, are I'm you just, just here just to hanging out now. Okay. I'm here to right. keep you company. Add to your and Let's price see. increases. Our ability right, to quickly execute. And if Dan comes back in, we'll bring him and we'll pop him while in. While preserving revenue and macroeconomic conditions, all of which, while based on extensive internal <coughs> analysis as well as recent experience, provide a layer of uncertainty in our outlook. We remain focused on showing incremental improvements in our DTC metrics. And we DTC will is to provide transparency into our to progress consumer. and key drivers. In our prior earnings call, we noted that we expected the improvement in Q2 operating results at direct-to-consumer would be larger than the improvement in Q1. We now expect Q2 DTC operating results to improve sequentially by approximately $200 million, as improvements in the first quarter materialized more quickly than previously expected. Additionally, our view on Q2 now incorporates more challenging, addressable advertising headwinds. Moving on to linear networks. First quarter operating income decreased by approximately $240 million versus the prior year. Linear would be things like ABC. Year over year. But that growth was more than offset by decreases at international channels. The increase at domestic channels was due to higher results at cable, while broadcasting results were comparable to the prior year quarter. Higher cable results were driven by lower programming and production costs, partially offset by decreases in advertising and affiliate revenue. The decrease in programming and production costs reflect lower NFL and college football playoff, or CFP, rights costs. The decline in NFL rights expense reflects the timing of costs under our new agreement compared to the prior NFL agreement, and lower CFP rights costs were due to timing shifts. Recall that we had two fewer games in the first quarter of fiscal 2023 versus the prior year, as those games were shifted into Q2 this year. The decrease in cable advertising revenue also reflects the CFP timing shift. ESPN advertising revenue in the first quarter was down 4% year over year, but was roughly flat once adjusted for the CFP shift. Now, and the other thing I heard, I've heard Valiant and Renegade talk about this. I've heard Clownfish, uh, Neon over at Clownfish talk about this. When the two ad, additional ad revenue, ad revenue is down everywhere. Ad revenue is down across the board. So it's not unusual just here to hear ESPN's ad revenue is down. Everybody's ad revenue is down. For live events such as the Oscars, and demand across sports also remains solid. Total domestic affiliate revenue in the first quarter increased by 1% from the prior year, driven by six points of growth from contractual rate increases. Affiliate revenue would be, you know, if you're, if you're an ABC network, if you're an ABC affiliate TV station, you're paying a fee to be an affiliate and, and carry the network programming. So you pay for that. It's basically like a franchise fee. Partially offset by a decrease in programming and production costs. As a reminder, the first quarter held no IPL cricket matches versus 13 matches in the prior year due to COVID-related timing shifts. 
Looking ahead to the now IPL, that's uh, that's in India soccer, I think, or, or that it's it's the biggest thing over there. And Disney last year made a decision not to pursue certain rights uh, in favor of cutting costs. And I did get a note from Dan. His his IT just imploded. He says so. I don't know if it'd be back or not. The Q2 guide that I'd like to walk through. Yes, First, walk us through. Walk us through that. All that domestic linear networks operating income increased in Q1 versus the prior year, benefiting from the timing of costs under a new agreement for the NFL and a timing impact for CFP. These impacts will work against us in Q2, and as a result, ESPN is expected to account for approximately half of the $1 billion operating income decrease. Broadcasting and our other domestic cable networks will be adversely impacted in the second quarter by approximately $300 million, <clears throat> driven primarily by headwinds in advertising and, to a lesser extent, affiliate revenue. Headwinds in advertising. There's that again. We're not making as much money in ads. And you'll notice that it's the CFO who gets to tell you the bad news. Bob Iger is not going through all of this. Eight additional matches versus the prior year. Other contractual rights cost increases and additional top-line headwinds. And at content sales, licensing, and other, operating results decreased versus the prior year by $114 million dollars as higher theatrical results were more than offset by lower TVS VOD operating income, higher overhead costs, and a decrease in home entertainment operating income. These results came in below the guidance we gave in November, primarily due to softer than expected performance of certain theatrical releases. <laughs> yeah, there it was. We believe softer than expected. Lightyear was a bomb. Will be roughly break even. What was the other one that they put out there? Strange World? That was a bomb? Yeah, those two. About our focus on Seeing Red on, on Disney Plus didn't really perform well. As Bob mentioned, over the years, <coughs> when they try to step in into the box that they want society to be a part of, they lose. Yep. The, the, the Proud Family thing, that's going to be, that's going to hurt them, I think. Yeah. Impact on the company's free cash flow. Our but they never learn this. No, no. Hollywood always learns the wrong lesson. In our businesses. We still expect cash content spend company-wide to remain in the low $30 billion range for fiscal 2023. The longer-term content cost reductions referenced earlier in the call are not expected to impact this year's guidance range. I think those, we those also continue to invest in our expect, parks those expense globally, reductions were Bob Chapek's plan. Projects across the enterprise, and expect that fiscal 2023 capital expenditures will total approximately six billion dollars. This is lower than our prior guide of 6.7 billion dollars, primarily due to decreases in capex on our domestic parks, reflecting in part some timing shifts. Like Bob mentioned. Given our recovery from the pandemic, strong balance sheet, and commitment to cost cutting, we believe we'll be on track to declare a modest dividend by the end of this calendar year. The amount will likely you know, be a small You know, I wonder how long they're going to be able to blame the pandemic on a lot of this stuff. Because at some point, we're past and the in pandemic. Terms of our current outlook, as we sit here today, 
We still expect like I that said, revenue Hollywood learns the wrong thing, yeah. right? Because year, apparently we're not past the pandemic. The high single-digit well. percentage range, and we look forward to updating you on our progress as we move forward. Depends on which political party you ask. I'd like to note that shortly after today's call, we will be posting a presentation on our investor relations website, which will summarize many of the themes that we are discussing here today. And we'll put and a link that, to that. Anybody's I'll turn interested. it back to Alexia, and we would be happy to take your questions. Here we go. Strap in. Thanks, Christine. As we transition I, to the Q&A, we ask that you please try to limit yourself to one question in order to help us get to as many else as possible today. And you can absolutely so bet that they vetted all these questions going into this. Thank you, ma'am. And as a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press They know what questions they're going to get asked. And, to remove yourself from and they've made sure they're not going to get asked uncomfortable questions, questions, I bet. I bet. With B of A Securities. Bank of America. That's Bank of America. Thank you so much. Hi, Bob. As Christine said, it's great to have you back. Um, it seems like a very different company than when you left, even though it was only a couple of years ago. Um, given the cyclical, but maybe more importantly, the secular challenges across all of your businesses, linear film, content competition, et cetera. Suck up to the so rest. In the restructuring, what do you think are the quick fixes and what will take longer term to see the benefits of, of some of these actions? And on the $3 billion in, in cost cuts in content, is that largely fewer titles, and what does it mean for ultimate direct-to-consumer margins? Uh, Jessica, uh, thank you for welcoming me back. Uh, let me take the second part of your question first. We are going to take a really hard look at the cost for everything that we make, both across television and film, uh, because things in, in a very competitive world have just simply gotten more expensive. Uh, and that's something that is uh, already underway here. In addition, we're going to look at the volume of what we make. And with that in mind, we're going to be fairly aggressive at better curation when it comes to general entertainment. In other because words, we're not just going to make everything and throw a bunch of money at it. Undifferentiated, as opposed to our core franchises and our brands, which because of their differentiation and their quality have delivered higher returns for us over the years. So we think we have an opportunity to, through more aggressive curation, to reduce some of our costs in the general entertainment side and in general in volume. In addition, the structure is now designed to place uh, responsibility of all international programming and investment in content in the hands of one unit so that they can better decide the balance between what we make for global distribution and consumption and what we make for local distribution and consumption. You know, I With have to wonder how much of that is driven by we can't keep making well these two hundred and fifty million dollar movies that don't make a billion five, two billion at the box office. To deliver the profitability that we talk about delivering by the end of twenty four. In terms of your first question, I mean indeed it is times have changed, although uh, in retrospect or in looking back at it, not in an extraordinary way, obviously it's gotten more competitive. The forces of disruption have only gotten greater, um, and there are certain things, certainly as a residual of COVID, that have just gotten tougher from a macroeconomic perspective. That said, we're still a company that is focused on uh, creativity at its highest form. Um, uh -huh. I love the fact that we are relinking uh, the creative side of our business 
with the distribution and the monetization side of our business. Hi, Hexel and, and I Collins. think by doing that, we'll see the impact of that reorganization fairly quickly. Uh, you know what this also does? If I make a producer responsible for the financial performance of the movie they make, it's easier to cut that person loose if it doesn't perform well rather than blame an entire department division within your own company, you know? Maybe that's just me. A number of fronts, including advertising, monetization, stronger marketing. And so I think that when you focus on the company's assets, in terms of our brands and our franchises, yes, it's a tough environment, but the combination of the restructuring and the fact that we've got these core brands, which when we get right creatively, as we've seen time and time again, you know, set not only differentiates us, but enables us to uh, deliver fairly strong returns. I really want somebody to ask him about FTX. Thank you. Next question. I really want somebody to ask him about FTX. Swinburne with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Now, these are all the investors. These are the investor Thank you. companies, Good afternoon. the brokerage houses and uh, stuff, the Bob, banks. I'm sure one reaction you'll get today from all this news is, you know, the future of television, I think, is viewed as being streamed, uh, with linear obviously declining. I'm sure you generally agree with that trend. So how do you think about that? Uh, Streaming's in decline, too. You've laid out today uh, in the context of that, uh, to make sure you're maximizing the returns globally uh, of the franchises that you've built. Um, and then I was just wondering, maybe, Christine, uh, on the parks business, really strong margins this quarter, um, really kind of the return to the kind of incremental margins we're used to seeing. Didn't sound like there was anything one time, but I just wanted to ask if this quarter is sort of emblematic of kind of how you see the rest of the year playing out from a trend point of view. Thank you both. Thanks, Ben. Nice to hear from you. Um, I've been watching this very carefully for a long time. And what, I, what I'm talking about is the impact... From the, the office he never left on the studio. Basically creating a huge authority shift from the producer and the distributor to the consumer. And as that authority <laughs> has shifted, it's made the traditional business more complicated, more, more challenging. When you think yeah, about yeah. what streaming is, and we talked about this a lot as it related to multi-channel TV, it is the ultimate a la carte proposition for the consumer. It gives the consumer so much more authority than they ever had before because in reality it gives them the ability to watch programs, not channels, not even bundles when you think about it. And because you're signing up in most cases for a one-month subscription, you can sign up for one program, pay a relatively small amount of money, and then end up basically unsubscribing. That's tremendous change. And I think what's going on right so now is... So he's that acknowledging that streaming people will subscribe, watch the shows they want to watch, and then they go away. That's that's interesting that, he, that he'd acknowledge that. Well, and when you sit there and you have your free one-week trial, yeah. what's the point? I mean, they lose watch as money much as right then. Yeah. The linear business delivered for us over all of, you know, over a few decades. And so we're in a very interesting transition period, but one I think is inevitably heading toward streaming. And so as far as I know, streaming is still not making anybody any money anywhere, not just Disney. Already is that, and this I think is also directly related to our restructuring. We're gonna rebalance a bit because those linear channels and, and movie theaters too, still can provide us with significant amount of monetization capability. They enable us to amortize the cost better over multiple platforms and create some marketing cloud. You think about it, Abbott Elementary airs on ABC, then it goes to Hulu, 
the demographic difference in age is tremendous. It's like 60 years old or around, I'm estimating, on ABC, and in the 30s on Hulu. That's a perfect example how the linear platforms, while they still have an audience and can help us monetize, can still be used effectively, and we have that ability. And so we're going to monitor it very carefully. We're not in any way stepping away from streaming. It remains our number one priority. It is, in many respects, our future. But we're not going to abandon the linear or the traditional platforms while they can still be a benefit to us and our shareholders. They can't abandon them outright because streaming's not making them money. And if they if they throw all their eggs in the basket of streaming, they're going to be out of luck. We were really thrilled with the performance um, of Parks in the quarter. Um, there were no one-time items to call out, but the one thing I would mention is in pre previous quarters, we had mentioned that the recovery from the pandemic in our international parks was lagging domestic. And in this quarter, we had very strong performance, especially year over year, from Disneyland Paris. Um, we had the opening um, of Avengers Campus over there in July, and that um, is incredibly popular and driving attendance. And we also the have Avengers a campuses? new hotel that was no, actually an I have not. But it's interesting, they're, they're talking about uh, Disneyland Paris. I have a story we'll get to uh, with regard to that. The other thing I mentioned was um, the strength at our royalty stream from um, Disneyland in Tokyo. And the other thing not to forget is this quarter, our first quarter of the year, is seasonally one of our strongest um, when you look at it relative to other quarters. But the year-over-year -year comparison, um, it was an improvement, and we feel great about our business going forward. Thank you both. Thank you. Next question. Our next question today comes from Michael Nathanson at SVB, SVB Moffitt Nathanson. Please go ahead. Another investment Thanks. firm. Welcome back, Bob. <clears throat> uh, I, have, I have two. The first is when you go back to the, the, the second investment day you had it for streaming, the company increased their TAM forecast, their investment spending, and kind of vision for Disney+. Plus. Now that you've returned with more data and time, what's the vision for Disney+. Plus? You know, you don't want to give us long-term targets, I get that, but what is the product vision? Is it a more narrow vision? Uh, any type of long-term size in the investment and the long-term profitability case of D+, would be helpful. And then on linear, the bench question, a big part of the cost structure of sports costs, You've signed a ton of them lately, but when you think about going forward, can you help us understand what will change going forward on sports rights investment in terms of must-have and and not necessarily must-have? Thanks. If I remember right, didn't they well, the talk a lot about you know, ESPN yeah, last time? Do what? Didn't they talk about a lot of a lot about well, ESPN? ESPN is one of their biggest money makers in terms of, of broadcasting cable television. Okay. So, yeah, I, I expect them to be talking about ESPN because because a lot of analysts were having some questions and discussions about about ESPN too, uh, ESPN also. So, yeah, it's that's a big part of their their operation. We think of we, you know, Valiant Renegade has made this point as well. We think of Disney as the movie studio, but that's a that's a slice slice, an insignificant slice when compared to everything else. Parks is where they make their money. Parks and properties. <clears throat> but ESPN, all this other stuff, the, everything, everything's part of it. The studios that make the movies drop in the bucket. And I think that 
we are going to continue to look at that as a potential pivot for ESPN away from the, you know, the linear business. But we're not, we're not going to do that precipitously. We're not going to do that until it really makes sense from an economic perspective. Um, on the, uh, the first part Mrs. of your boss question, is going to go feed the office dogs. You know, what, what, either what's changed or where are we headed from what was the second um, uh, investor day. I think a few things. First of all, we were, as a company, in a global arms race for subscribers. And it was the number of subscribers that had become kind of the primary measurement of success not only here in the company, but among the, in the investment community. And yeah, in investment because they didn't have any they didn't have any revenue numbers. Here's the here are the subscriber numbers. Did did they meet revenue goals? That's the question. On the call, that's one of them. I talked about pricing as well. That's another where we really have to look at. You know, are we pricing correctly? It's interesting, as Christine noted, we took our pricing up substantially on Disney Plus. And we didn't suffer any de minimis, we only suffered a de minimis loss of subs. That tells us something. It may also tell us that the promotion to chase subs that we've been fairly aggressive at globally wasn't, ne wasn't absolutely necessary. So pricing is definitely one thing. Promotion obviously is tied to that. It's also obvious to us that we can't get the profitability and turn this into a growth business without growing subs. So while we're taking off the table sub-guidance, we're still going to look to grow subs. We just want to grow quality subs that are loyal and where we actually have an ability to continue to price effectively to those subs. So if they're, addition, if they're wanting to get subscribers that are loyal, does that indicate that they've had subscribers that are not? Is that a question to ask? I'm just asking a question. I don't know. Of it all as well. And, of course, reduce costs on everything that we make because while we're extremely proud of the, what's on the screen, uh, it's gotten to a point where it's extraordinarily expensive. And we want all the quality. We want the, the quality on the screen, but we have to look at what they cost us. So we're going to continue to go after subs, but we're going to be more judicious about how we do that. We're going to look carefully at pricing. We're going to reduce costs both in content and, of course, infrastructure. There's a lot uh, that we're getting at there. Marketing is another area where we're going to try to rebalance marketing of the platform versus marketing of the programs. You know, we, we, Nielsen came out with something a few weeks ago that was stunning to us, and that was that 10 of the top 15 movies streamed in the United States in 2022 were ours. On that list was Moana and Zootopia and Frozen, but also uh, Turning Red and Encanto. You know, that suggests to us that our brands and franchises work extremely well in streaming. I mentioned how Wakanda has forever has done as well. So core brands and franchises, more efficient pricing, getting better at marketing, being a little bit more judicious at promotion, all of those things is how we believe we're going to get to, a, to, to turn the streaming business into a growth business. And one other thing, the streaming business is going to continue to grow, albeit at the expense of linear programming, but consumption of television is not decreasing, is actually going up. So he's just basically acknowledged that, that, that streaming has not been uh, a, a growth item for them very much yet. Hi, thank you. Uh, Bob, following up on Michael, there's been a lot of talk in the last year about whether Disney should keep, spin, sell, or trade ESPN. 
with it now as a standalone segment. Can you give us your view on the future of Disney and sports in particular, and maybe TV in general? How integral is ESPN to the company's future? Thanks. You know, we, we, thank you, Phil. Um, we're fairly certain that when we created this structure and broke ESPN... By the way, uh, Deadline is just dropping a, uh, an, an article... Avatar experience coming to Disneyland. So they're going to capitalize on this uh, this Avatar success as much as they can. They're going to bring that uh, Disneyland. That's the California park. Uh, there's going to be a there's going to be an Avatar uh, theme park, a new attraction based on the Avatar franchise. Hit Disneyland soon. He calls it the Avatar Experience. Iger said uh, details will be coming soon. Uh, so, and he says Avatar is now a core franchise for the company, which means we'll probably get a streaming <laughs> a streaming show. We'll probably get an animated show, and then the two the two movies, three movies that are still in the works. Avatar is not going away, folks. Thank you. Next question. And our next question today comes from Doug Mitchelson with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Credit Suisse oh, is another, so much. Uh, Credit Suisse is another I, bank. I welcome back, Bob, uh, you know, comment. You know, Bob, there's some investor, you know, skepticism that theme park per caps and margins are elevated due to post-pandemic benefits that might expire. I'm curious, you know, in your view, does the theme park division still have healthy growth That would be the PPP money, you know, probably. Year, especially after, you know, pretty good quarter this quarter. And uh, what do you see as the major, major growth drivers of, of, of theme parks going forward? Thanks. Nice to hear your voice again, Doug. Um, we've been through many of these calls in the past. Um, well, the answer is yes on the theme parks in terms of their growth. I'm very, very bullish about our parks, um, and not just because of the COVID recovery. But to start with, demand on the parks is extraordinary right now. Now, we could lean into that demand easily by letting more... Remember what Cameron said. Who came from parks? Pricing. We don't think either would be smart. That would be Bob Chapek. people in is going to reduce guest experience... That's certainly not what we want. And in fact, if you looked at our results this past holiday season, we actually reduced capacity, certainly improved guest experience, and we're able to maintain profit, not just profitability, but a very, very successful or, or robust bottom line. Um, we're going to continue to look at opportunities like that, which is essentially to simply get more creative in terms of managing the capacity that we have. I'm going to come back to that in terms of growth, but let me also address the pricing side. It's clear that some of our pricing initiatives were alienating to consumers. I've always believed, by the way, that accessibility is a core value of the Disney brand. Uh -huh. We were not perceived to be as accessible or as affordable to many segments as we probably should have been. So after basically paying heed to what we were hearing, we started to address it, and the steps that we took were actually um, were very, very positive. We got really great reaction to it. Uh, in addition, and... How does that apply to Galactic Star Cruiser? We put in place just basically more flexibility for the consumer in terms of how much it costs them to go. Um, and interestingly enough, if you look at the increase of the core ticket at, say, Disneyland, it has not really increased that much, maybe slightly ahead of inflation over the last few years. But what, what, one of the things that was interesting to me in coming in and examining our pricing is we were making that available to people for only 15 days a year. So if you look at our new pricing strategy, we made it available for it was 50 days a year. And so we greatly increased accessibility to our lowest price. 
and it's, it's really well received. So we're going to manage capacity very, very carefully. Some of that, by the way, has enabled us to essentially um, shift mix to, from, from annual pass holders to you know, people who may come just once in a lifetime or once. They tend to be good customers of ours because of their per cap spending when they're there. That's really helpful. Uh, some of the things that we put in place to manage basically uh, annual pass holders was done to help us manage capacity without having doing too much damage to the bottom line. Lastly, we have learned that when we invest in, in increasing capacity, the Star Wars lands would be a good example of that. Pandora was a great example of that. Um, we can grow our business. In fact, if you look at the results when we put Pandora in Animal Kingdom, from year to year, they were stunning in terms of how many more people visited Animal Kingdom. I mentioned on the call that we're going to bring a version of Avatar to Disneyland. We have other opportunities as well. I've talked to Josh tomorrow about this very recently, like this morning, again, to really look at all the great franchises. I think Josh tomorrow is in charge of parks, but I don't, I don't know that for increase sure. increase capacity while, in, while preserving guest satisfaction. Thank Operator, you. I think we have time for one more question. Of course. Thank you. And our final question comes from Stephen Cahill with Wells Fargo. Please Wells Fargo, ahead. another bank. Thanks, Bob. Uh, I'll ask you a question that we've asked Christine a lot over the last year, which is, you know, you made the comment about ESPN Plus expressing some uh, success in streaming and sports. And, you know, there's probably now about 40 million homes who've decided to not be in the bundle. So what do you need to see out there in the linear world to decide that an ESPN a la carte sports service in streaming should should be the big leap for Disney. And then just a small one, you mentioned about how a lot of content can amortize in places They've other They've got than a streaming, streaming ESPN uh, you channel. You talked a lot today about cost. It's called ESPN Plus. Licensing is also I've worked a for it. Sort of big profit pool over the next few years. Thank you. I'll take the second part first, Steve. Yeah, the answer to the second part is yes. Um, now, when you say big, I don't know yet. I mean, we're not really there, but you know, when we when we bought Fox, we greatly enhanced our television production and film production capabilities, bringing into the company great talent in both the movie and the they bought, TV side. They bought Fox for the uh, library, folks. They, they didn't buy Fox for production resources. Yeah. So we're going to curate it more. We have opportunities using the great talent that we have to create for third parties, and we're going to look at that very seriously. All right, you catch that, create for third parties, which means they're probably going to do the same thing that Warner Brothers Discovery is doing by saying, okay, we'll license some of this, we'll sell it, we'll put it on other channels. You know, if you're asking me, is the shift inevitable, the answer is yes, but I'm not going to give you do any what? sense Didn't you come across something saying that they were going to do that, or was that a speculation? Yeah, well, there's been talk that maybe they'd have to do that, but I don't know that we've found anything specific to that how many subscribers we could get. It's also about what is the pricing power of ESPN, which obviously ties to the menu of sports that, uh, that they've licensed. Thank you. Is ESPN Plus still okay, around, thanks even? thanks for the question. I want to thank everyone for joining today. Is that the one that comes with our bundle? Note that a reconciliation because if it is, yes, it is there. But the only thing is, is everything they do, it's kind of like when uh, Spike TV went its way, uh, Sci-Fi Channel went its way. Yeah. Everything is, you know, live content types, you know, uh, 
reality stuff yeah. or yeah, talk shows. There's no sports on there. No, ESPN, ESPN, 12, uh, ESPN Plus, because that was some of the basketball games that I worked on. The college stuff. There, there, there's, there's sports, ga- there's games on there, but it's the, it's the lower tier. Nobody's going to pay attention to these games. Games that goes on ESPN Plus. If, if they're still around, because I've still got an ESPN Plus shirt. I still pay for it. All right, we're going through all the disclaimers and disclosures and all that other stuff. So as expected, no no conversation and all at all, no questions, no commentary on the uh, on the on the pending proxy war brewing with Tryon Group and Nelson Peltz and Ike Perlmutter. Thank you all for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect your lines and have a wonderful day. There it is. And I totally feel like this is no different than when they try to put. So at work on occasion, they have these big group where there's, you know, so many hundred of us on the call all over. And they want to talk and they want to have a quote unquote fireside chat. Uh But you get absolutely nothing out of it that, you know, it's kind of like Cameron and his, you know, insiders. You get more standing in the hallway gossiping next to a locker than you do <laughs> getting, you know, we want to have complete transparency. Right. Right. Well, I mean, the other the other part of that too is I mean, you look at I'm I'm looking here at the at the price and we're past, you know, we're past the close of of business today. But aftermarket uh, aftermarket, it looks, you know, the previous close was 111 uh, $0.63. We're up 0.12%. We're up just a little bit. You know, it's now at 111.78 uh, stock stock prices. So we'll see what this does over the last, over the next 24 hours because now, <laughs> now everybody starts digging into the numbers that they're passing out the paperwork and, and the reports on here's here's what we here's what we just got done telling you, and the analysts will get to dig into that, and we'll get a bunch of articles, and and there are some press releases that have already gone out. Uh, we told you about the the avatar thing. Um, by the way, Cameron has got a couple of reports on his Patreon already about some different things. Uh, Bob Iger says Disney was too aggressive in subscriber acquisition chase with promotions. That's Hollywood Reporter. So see that you've already start you're already getting Well the, yeah, the, the, I'm yeah, but the timing the timing of this these. though. I mean, you look at this. This this is coming out uh you know, this was what? Um 3 hours ago. This stuff here is coordinated, folks. This is this is Disney's going to do their thing. I, Warner Brothers Discovery, Fox, whoever else. Anything new. And here's here's the press releases and here's all this stuff. And all of this is coordinated to make Disney look better than they actually are. And to take the take the focus <laughs> take the focus away from FTX, take the focus away from Nelson Peltz, and there's a bunch of stories that are out there now about how terrible it would be for Nelson Peltz to get on the board and be an, and, and be an activist uh, investor. Um, Valiant explained this pretty well. An activist investor is not what you would think. 
An activist investor is not, so you've got a passive invest, passive investor, you got active investor. A passive investor is somebody who just buys the stock and we'll see what it does, right? There's not a, a lot of active trading. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to really pay attention. I own the stock. It does what it does and, and whatever. Activist investors are people who buy enough of the stock that they want to influence the, the direction of the company. And that's where that's where Tryon is coming in. And they have this big presentation called Restore the Magic. You go to RestoreTheMagic.com. There's this, this detailed presentation about the financials of Disney, uh, criticisms of the board as it's currently constituted. They're going after a specific board member, the guy by the name of Froman, who is, I believe, with MasterCard. <coughs> and a lot, of this, a lot of the numbers that are in there are basically saying, look, while this, while these people have been on the board, the financial hit has been X. You have lost money with these people making decisions. And they point to how many times in the past Tryon Group and Nelson Peltz specifically have gotten involved in boards of directors for various different corporations and turned those companies around into profit-making machines. And that's that's ultimately what's at stake here from that standpoint. There may be a political component on this as well. Remember Bob Iger wanted to run for president at some point. He's not going to be able to do that if the legacy of Disney is everything implodes. Right? He's not going to be able to advance his political career until he cleans up the mess that he left for Bob Chapek, which was exacerbated by the pandemic. Now, it probably would have gone undiscovered longer, but you had the pandemic hit in the middle of everything, and the whole everything, you know, the, the upset the apple cart to the point where everything's exposed. Disney is exposed financially, and then you get the FTX thing that comes in and does that. Well, and it's <coughs> like we've pointed out before, since everything happened with the pandemic, however the pandemic actually happened, uh -huh. with it backfiring, uh -huh. you also put into the consideration that kids are now going to stay home and go to school. Yep. So you have the parents finding out exactly what is going on with the school system, and you get the people here, you know, that were down in Florida making ruckus over it. And what did that cost them? I, I would expect it cost them a lot. Because you've got the Reedy Creek thing that came from people opening their mouth and having issues because of certain ideological thought uh -huh. processes that go through their minds that are not supposed to be taught in school because it's not part of what you need to, you know, succeed in the world in any way shape or form yeah but you know it, it's it's backfired and backfired and backfired and we're still seeing the backfire yeah i mean and that's why the pandemic's never really going to be over because it's going to backfire so hard it's just a matter of them trying to do it again and failing yeah. again. Well, and speaking of Reedy Creek, here is yesterday, clickorlando.com. This is uh, Channel 6 in Orlando, one of their uh, TV stations. The headline, Reedy Creek Board Meets Amid Florida Special Session on Disney District. This is uh, this is today, actually. Um, 
The Reedy Creek Improvement District Board met Wednesday morning amid a special session that could give Florida Governor Ron DeSantis control over the Disney District. The special session began... Now, that's not entirely true. That's not entirely accurate. Basically, what this bill does is it puts the governor in charge... And the governor appoints uh, directors, which have to be vetted by the by the the state le- legislature. I, um, I think the state senate has to has to clear it. Very much like presidential nominations have to be approved by the by the uh, by the senate. You know the whole advise and consent function in, that's built into the constitution. Now, is this for people who know what the Constitution is? Because didn't they just have a federal judge uh, who's trying to go and get themselves uh, confirmed uh, and have uh, no idea about certain... Anyway, oh. so you've got here, the special session began Monday to restructure the Reedy Creek Improvement District as the Disney government is. No, Disney government? It's not a Disney government. A bill introduced that same day would largely leave the district and its abilities intact, but change its name to the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District and require the governor to appoint a five-member oversight board. Members previously were named through entities controlled by Disney. Monday's meeting was the latest development in a high-profile feud between DeSantis and Disney over the state's parental rights and education law, which bars instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity in kindergarten through third grade in lessons deemed not age-appropriate. That's not all that that bill does. Everybody is so focused on that. That's one line in the bill. One I've read it. That's one line in the bill. The majority like of this bill a two-page thing. The majority of this bill is parents are not going to be shut out of knowing what the kids what are being taught. It basically says, "Hey administrators, if the parents want to know what's going on in the school, you are not allowed to shut them out. The parents have a right to know what's being taught, what's being communicated in the schools. Teachers, you have to tell the parents what's being taught. Administrators, school districts, you have to communicate with parents. The parents have a right to have access to information about what's being taught in the curriculum in your schools. That's what that bill is all about. That's what that bill is about. There's one line in there about sexual education, age-appropriate stuff. One line. And and and, And I mean that. A single sentence. Not even a sentence, because it's a clause in the rest of this thing. That That's it. But that's what they focus on. That's everything that everybody wants to complain about with this whole don't say gay bill. Which that word isn't even in there. No, it's not. Parental rights in education law means the parents have a right to know what their kids are being taught. That's the that's the guts of this bill. Now, 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 just because a person puts a child out of their body in some way, shape, or form doesn't mean that they get to have any say because at that point, once the child is outside of said person's body, it's a warden of the state. That that's not that's that's not how that works, you know. Well, no, 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 no. That's, no. Not, that's how that not how it works. But that's the way they want it to work, which is 
kind uh-huh. of funny when you have certain, you know, things that get overturned. You'd think they'd want to have more. Well, and basically what this does, this basically puts the, the, the this particular district back in the control of the state government, which is where it should have been in the first place. Disney had too much power with this. And now what's going to happen is in the re, in the restructuring of Reedy Creek, you're going to have uh, responsibility for ta- paying taxes. And, and Disney's not just going to have the power to just decide whatever it is they want to do, they'll do. They've got to go through the government now. So if we want to if we want to put a road out here this way, you're going to have to talk to the government about it now instead of just doing it yourself. Do you want to you know, levy a tax or a... Or a or a, a, a use fee or whatever else <coughs> that's going to get that's going to get decided by a board of directors that is that is uh, appointed by the governor and everybody wants to make this about DeSantis but the governor's office has this authority so once DeSantis is gone whoever is the next governor is going to have this same authority democrat or republican so it's not it's, yes Disney shot themselves in the head with with fighting this bill, but the long term consequences of this, I don't think anybody quite realizes because the the political structure of Florida eventually is going to change because DeSantis is not going to be governor forever, and he's going to appoint directors, and at some point another governor is going to appoint different directors, and they're going to get you know vetted by the state senate and whatnot. You're going to have different people that are in charge of this thing. And they're not all going to be bought and paid for by Disney. <coughs> so there's going to be that, which means Disney is now going to be on a more even footing with the other parks around there. Busch Gardens, SeaWorld, Universal Studios, that kind of thing. Speaking of which, boom, boom, boom. WDW Pro had a report this morning over on his channel. He has information that's been given to him. And he's made very certain, very clear that what he's been handed does not violate any NDAs, but he also can't speak to very much specifics because he doesn't want to give away his source. But he has a source telling him that Universal is looking to to build a park and resort because we know there's there's one going in at Frisco, Texas. They're looking at at Universal. Europe. They're going to put a theme park and a resort somewhere in Europe. One of three countries, he says, although we don't know where, but it sounds like from conversations that I've heard, it sounds like Germany might be a possibility. Uh, Sounds like United Arab Emirates might be a possibility. Spain doesn't sound like it's going to be on on that list. (coughs) But if Universal builds a theme park there, you remember they were talking about uh, uh, the efforts that they're making here for Disneyland Paris. I think Universal smells blood in the water when it comes to the Disney parks because you've got the Ho- Hollywood Horror Nights, Halloween Horror Nights, that they're expanding to a year-long permanent fixture in Las Vegas, Universal is, and they still have Dollywood, and they're going to do some more regional stuff. And then they're putting in this park in Frisco, Texas, which is right outside of Dallas. And then you've got Nintendo World, which is going in. And there's word of something called, uh, uh, oh, what did I write down? Um, 
something called Epic Universe, <coughs> which is going to be even bigger than that because, according to WDW Pro, Universal Comcast, NBC Universal, is looking to develop on the movie and TV side of things a Nintendo Cinematic Universe, which means not just Mario, Mario, Ooh. Donkey Kong, Legend of Zelda, Star Fox, all of the Nintendo Kirby? properties, Kirby, who knows, all the Nintendo properties in a Nintendo Cinematic Universe. Now, Paramount is doing the same thing over there with Hasbro and Transformers, Mask, uh, G.I. Joe, all of those, ROM, uh, the Stardust, all of those apparently in development as part of a bigger cinematic universe, although there hasn't been any movement on much outside of Transformers. But if you have a Nintendo cinematic universe and you have these big Nintendo worlds, and then on on the other side of that, the 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 Harry Potter theme park additions in the Universal Studios. I think what is Universal Studios Hollywood as the uh, the Harry n- Potter stuff, right? And not that's a Universal. That's a Orlando. But it's a Universal. Pr- yeah. it's property, right? <clears throat> And you have Warner Brothers Discovery <coughs> open to having further conversations with J.K. Rowling to develop new Harry Potter content, new Harry Potter programming, material, movies, whatever. And you had Hogwarts Legacy just drop on uh, yesterday and it's doing gangbusters. The people I've talked to who have played the game or got the game... Loving it. Everybody who has played the game loves this. I have seen so many comments on social media from people who are sitting there going, you know, I've never been a big Harry Potter fan, but all of the blowback, all of the complaining, all of the griping and bitching about this game made me think I'm not going to take a look. And so they buy the game and they're playing the game. And you know, I really like the game. So sales have been increased by the Streisand effect of these emotionally constipated, blue-haired 12-year-olds on on Twitter griping and complaining and setting up websites to report anybody who's streaming the game. Now, that site has been since taken down, but you talk about 1984 informer-type crap. That's just, that's just beyond it the pale. in your head doesn't mean... I. Who were you talking to the other day... I want to say it was one of your guests, but someone had made comment. And it, it's like, yeah, when someone creates a piece of art, once it's released into the wild, it's no longer yours. It is in the head of whoever takes it in, That's, whether it's a book or a story, or, you know, a piece, something, to, but no, something to look at. Yeah. So people have taken some of whatever and I, manipulated in their head, which gets them to where the fan created you well, know, shipping happens. I have, hang on, I have, I have a problem with that because, yes, yes, as a as a viewer, as a as a person who's looking at it as a consumer of the product, or you know, a patron of the arts, or whatever, you're looking at something artistic, and you do have an interpretation that you have. It is there is there is a transactional component. However. Uh, I still think that artists have intent, and artists' intent needs to be factored into things. You can't just 
interpret things willy-nilly and read something into it that's not there. I mean, you could try. Well, you you could do it. That doesn't head. make it a valid. That doesn't make it a valid observation, a valid interpretation. That's just. This, oh yeah, well, that's how you feel about it. Okay, you do you, boo. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a valid interpretation. It might be good for you. But if you find enough people who sit there and, in their mind, is valid enough, that's how you get your twelve angry Twitter users. Maybe. And that's, oh, I mean, I've read the books, I've watched the movies, hated the movies, but never once in my my own, you know, demented head did I pick up any of the stuff that some of these people are talking about mm -hmm. and see. And, I mean, <clears throat> it comes down to a lot of, you know, I want to see me in whatever it is. Okay, well, I want to see me as a single white woman or a, not a straight white woman in these books, you know, but it doesn't mean that the person next to me wants to see the same thing. So that that's all I'm saying is and then they get angry because you don't think like me. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I had to. No, I did. You know that you're right. It's it, it is definitely uh, one of those things where you have. Um, a lot of a lot of angst and noise and gripes and complaints and and all this other stuff about you know what's allowed what what should what should be proper and what should be uh acceptable and uh dave's just dropping into the chat just arriving now my catch-up begins you, <laughs> you missed a lively discussion at the beginning of the show good to have you here dave that's that's, that's good to see you all right. Speaking of which, okay, that's since we're at the uh, since since Dave is just arriving, that means we can stop. Um, oh. <laughs> I kid, I kid, because I loves right. Is mm -hmm. that that's how it how it is? Well, and the one thing I want to point out because they were sitting there and uh, what's her name was talking a little bit about the parks. Christine McCarthy. And yeah. one of the, one of the things that I did notice, or it's interesting. She what made one sentence regarding the Star or you know Star Wars, and then moved on to some of the other park aspects like the uh, the Wild Kingdom, mm -hmm. and it's funny because I've had some friends that are recently gone to Disney World, and that was more of one of the things they were looking forward to. I mean, don't get me wrong, they like their Star Wars, and you know all that but it was it was the whole wild animal park yeah and i mean what's that say when you have people spend how much money and they had extra money because their trip was originally supposed to happen in 2020 and the pandemic got you know yeah, showed so they, up they were able to save up for a couple of extra years and literally they did save up and it was nothing to so we've been in the park now for 30 minutes and already have spent 150 dollars mm -hmm. that's the type of messaging i was getting yeah. because of how ridiculous they sit there and they talk about the tears and the prices i mean i'm sorry i used to live in los angeles and going to disneyland back then i mean you're you were spending 50 some odd dollars for a ticket yeah for a day and now it's even worse. And well, nobody can go to Disneyland without, you know, everybody needs a pandemic to hit. Yeah. 
So so let me let me look let me just go through here this real quick. This is uh this is the stock price for Walt Disney Company. Closed at 111.78. Now all of this gray bar here, this gray line here is after the market's close. So you see here, now this is today. Uh, after 5 p.m. Eastern, you've got this, here comes this spike, and there's a giant spike right there. It popped up to $122, and then it, slow, then it starts to slump. It starts to drop. Now here we are in the 5 o'clock, the 5 o'clock hour. You know, this is after the earnings call starts, and they start talking about what they're going to do at parks, and the, and the price starts going down again. And right now, it's sitting at $117.18. The next however many hours before 8 a.m. Eastern, this is probably going to go up and down quite a bit here. That's a complete guess on my part. Consult with your tax attorney and your accountant, and I am not somebody that I'm getting. I'm not giving you any advice. However, if you Hi, decide Keely. to go over to Twitter, I'm looking <laughs> at this now. Yes. Um, <laughs> if you decide to go to Twitter, you now have a maximum of 2,400 tweets a day. So make sure you get it all in Wait, that. Wait, what? Yeah. Hollywood Reporter just dropped this in my email. Twitter places limits on tweet frequency impacting business and individual accounts. The company said it will now limit users to a maximum of 2,400 tweets a day, but users reported being prevented from tweeting far below that limit. What in the world is this? <laughs> what in the world is this? All right, this is Hollywood Reporter. This is just dropping. Uh, well, actually, this... See, and we don't get we don't get the first round of emails when this stuff comes out because this was uh, this was a couple of hours ago when this dropped. Two twenty-two uh, Eastern. Twitter on Wednesday began placing limits on the frequency of tweets an account can send with users operating both individual and business accounts receiving error messages about exceeding the daily limit for sending tweets. The company under Elon Musk is now placing limits to the number of direct messages and tweets that a user can send per day according to a page on Twitter's Help Center site. The daily tweet limit is 2,400, but the site notes the daily update limit is further broken down into smaller limits for semi-hourly intervals. Retweets also count toward that limit. This is bogus, as they say. I want to seriously start that? tweeting one, two. Two, yeah. And just go and see what? how far I can get. <sighs> The only thing that I can see this, uh, I can't. <laughs> what what would be the rationale behind something like that? They they it, this this has to be in anticipation of something or in reaction to something, and it doesn't seem to me like the Eliza Blue thing would be would be a reason <laughs> to do this. <laughs> I was just thinking that is she sitting there and snapping the whip on this. I that's a that's a weird that's a weird flex Elon that's a weird flex okay my question now is the character count get to go up since we have less tweets to be able to do it probably not Darn. no no that would be that would be too much to ask all right anyway that's that's I 
I guess that's a good place for us to wrap up. Go out and tweet about <coughs> it, guys. Yeah. Uh, share the links. Uh, hit the like button on your way out. Thanks very much for being here, everybody. I, I know I'm not Valiant Renegade. I'm not WDW Pro. But, you know, it, I, the, the way I see it, you look at you look at the uh, the State of the Union last night, right? You had CNN, C-SPAN, Washington Post, all these different places had all of this stuff and it had it live. Same kind of thing, you know. There are several different channels that were covering the the earnings call. You know, we're we're not that different, but Valiant Renegade is going to have some excellent analysis, so I do recommend that you check that out. And somewhere around, I, I don't know if he'll be on Midnight's Edge or someplace else, uh, Culture Casino probably has some thoughts on this as well. So, anywho, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for and being what here. what do you have tonight? What we have tonight, we have uh, a discussion of the Remo Williams story universe. Uh, RJ and I are going to be having our fifth Blast from the Bunker episode. We're going to be talking with Devin Murphy, who is the publisher of the Destroyer novels, the Destroyer series of books, which features Remo Williams. Uh, you you may have seen the movie, which was supposed to be a big franchise and turns out not to be. So uh, this one is on tonight, and then uh, tomorrow night, I guess, yeah, it is tomorrow night, we have discussion of the latest Star Wars stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. With uh, in the Ranker Pit, I think Alexandra Trapp will be here. We've got some invites out to some other people to join us. And then on Saturday, Foreign Bodies, we've got a new episode at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 Central, and we're pro we're going to do an evening edition of the news program. So good evening, Multiverse. Uh, but I'm not sure of the time yet. So that's that's coming. Uh, this weekend, which means you need to connect with us on social media so you know when we post links and programming updates and all of the different things about when we're going to do stuff uh, before we do them. And, of course, join us over on the Discord, and the Subscribestar account apparently looks to be working again. So if you want to support us that way, you can. But you're certainly under no obligation to do so. And uh, I guess, I guess that's enough for us today. <laughs> All right. So our subscriber count on YouTube is now at 2254. So it looks like we've picked up a couple of people. Welcome to the program. Welcome to the channel. Uh, hopefully you like what you see. Share the links. Tell your friends about us. Tell your enemies and, about us. And we will be back to do this again. <laughs> Uh, oh, and, and I mentioned the subscribe star. I keep forgetting to do this because I'm not I'm not in the habit of talking about money and and that kind of thing. Um, we do have memberships open now on both YouTube and Odyssey. So if you want to be a member and join that way, that option is available too. But again, no obligation. We're just glad you're here. So uh, hopefully you come back. Yes, and we're we'll, gonna have good morning. Multiverse by, by candlelight. Little you know, mood lighting could, in here. We, I guess we could do. We got enough candles uh, so, uh, around that we could probably do. We well, we could we could make something happen. We could like have that. fun with this. <laughs> I don't know. All right. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks for being here. Bye.
This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 